Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Rod Anderson. Our program tonight is entitled Armageddon and the Gathering of the Kings. Now in this study, it is a startling prophecy describing events which are going to happen in the near future which will involve every man, woman and child on planet earth on the eve of Christ's second coming. And I'm sure that you know that there is an awful lot of confusion in the Christian world just about what Armageddon is. And it seems to me that the tact in Christian circles is to make as much money as a person possibly can from this subject of Armageddon. What what am I talking about? Well, what I mean is, it just seems to me that the tact of many authors, theologians and assorted money grabbers, um, charlatans and opportunists is when they talk about the subject of Armageddon is not to enlighten, not to instruct, not to give uh, understanding of what the Bible actually says, but it's for one reason and one reason only, and that that is to make money, to feed their appetite for uncontrolled avarice and also to feed the fetish of uh, the general public that uh, loves to hear so many different fables. We're not going down that line tonight. This is absolutely free, this presentation, and you're not going to hear any ridiculous fables from me. We're going to be sticking right to the Word of God, and you're going to understand what Revelation says or is about when it talks about this topic of Armageddon. You know, there are many Christians in the world today who say that... um, Revelation, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the book that was written by the Apostle John, who envisioned on the island of Patmos in 95 AD. They say that the book of Revelation is closed. You just can't understand it. But this contradicts the opening three verses in the book of Revelation. It says, Blessed is he that readeth, and this is from Revelation 1 verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is, what does it say there? For the time is at hand. So when it comes to the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, inspired by God, in fact, these are the words of Jesus, which we've just written there, read there, it says that there is a blessing to be received by those people who read, who hear and keep the things found written in the book of Revelation. In other words, the book of Revelation is understandable. And we're going to stick to the golden rule of biblical interpretation, and that is to allow the Bible to interpret itself. So the book of Revelation is open for our understanding. In fact, the word revelation, it means revealed. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's the revealing of Jesus Christ. In effect, what we have here is information about um, God's plans and Jesus's plans for this world after the time of his ascension. Now, let's look at this topic, the topic of Armageddon. Time magazine had this cover. 
Think the unthinkable. The story stated that the world is on the brink of disaster. In a world bristling with nuclear weapons, disaster is only a press of the button away. Bernard Lowen lamented in his book, Prescription for Survival, he says this, mankind is doomed, locked into a race towards what? Towards Armageddon. In the movie Armageddon, we learn that there's an asteroid that's going to plunge into the earth and destroy the earth and wipe out life as we know it. Uh, There have been a lot of ideas in association with what Armageddon is. But generally, the word Armageddon is associated with the end of this world as we know it. Some have said it's a battle in the Middle East over oil. Others have said it's when the Jews pull down the dome of the rock, the Alaska Mosque, and uh, there's a revolt by the, um, by the Muslim world as the Jews build the third temple. There have been many ideas regarding the, uh, exactly what is entailed in Armageddon. But tonight, we're going to find out very clearly what it's all about because some people even say and it's frivolous when you quite think about it or facetious even that uh, people say when when Jesus Christ comes that's Armageddon because we're going to aim our nuclear arsenal at him and blow him out of the sky this is what some people teach this is what some preachers actually say is going to happen but none of these theories none of these views is consistent by which the bible talks about armageddon at all the name of armageddon or the word armageddon is only used once in the entire bible only once it's found in the book of revelation and under the seven last plagues found in revelation chapter 16 and we're going to read the sixth plague now the plagues these seven last plagues precede the second coming of jesus christ and in the sixth plague we have the word armageddon let's read this sixth plague now it says this and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now, there's a lot of symbolism here, and this is important for our study. Now, we're not going to explain everything. We can, and we could, or I, I could, but we don't have the time to do it. This is not a revelation series of presentations. I'm just touching on this important subject of Armageddon tonight to give you a bit of an idea of where our world is heading. So it says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. I think you'll agree with me. There's a lot of symbolism here, isn't there? It says, And out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Now, the book of Revelation was written in Greek, except for uh, the book of Matthew, which was originally written in Hebrew. But the book of Revelation was written in Greek. And on this one occasion, though, in the book written in Greek, John uses the Hebrew word Armageddon. Now, the word Armageddon comes from two Hebrew words. The first one, Ha, is translated mountain. And the second one is Megadon, 
Harmageddon, translated Megiddo. So the mountain of Megiddo is how we would translate this. So we translate it as the mountain of Megiddo. No, there is no mountain called Megiddo in the Middle East and there was no mountain called Megiddo in biblical times. But there was a city called Megiddo and Megiddo wasn't far from a mountain range called Mount Carmel. So here we have Megiddo and then we have Mount Carmel. You can see it on the other a screen as well there, Mount Carmel there and Megiddo there. Now that map isn't entirely clear. It was as clear as I'd like it to be. But the mountain of Megiddo is Mount Carmel. It would be just the same as saying that the mountain of Hobart is Mount what? Mount Wellington. It would be just the same as saying the mountains of Vancouver, Vancouver are the North Shore Mountains. The mountain of Megiddo or the mountains of Megiddo is referring to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is the mountain of Megiddo. So this is very important that we understand this point because it makes a lot of difference to our study tonight. Now at Mount Carmel, is a plain and it's called the plain of Megiddo, the plain of Jezreel. So it has two names. At the foot of Mount Carmel, you have the plain of Jezreel, you have the plain of Megiddo. And which, this has been known by every Jew throughout the century as a gathering point for hostile forces. This was the scene when Joshua defeated the Canaanite kings. This was the place where Barak and Deborah defeated Sisera. This was the place on this very plain here where Josiah died when he was battling against the Egyptians. Alexander the Great also marched his army through the plain of Jezreel and we also see that Napoleon did likewise. The name therefore is indicative of battle and slaughter. This is how the name of, of uh, the plain of Jezreel is actually identified. Historians have actually said that there have been more battles fought on the plain of Megiddo than anywhere else in the world. However, when Revelation says that the kings of the whole world shall gather in that place, we know that it can't be taken literally. I've been there. I've stood above the plane. I've taken photographs of the plane. It is a simple impossible. The whole world could not gather in that place. Therefore, it cannot have a literal meaning. It must have a symbolic meaning. And this will be consistent with the passage that we read where Armageddon is referred to because there is plenty of symbolism in the uh, chapter that we looked at in Revelation there, which refers to the place called Armageddon. So it's not physically possible for the whole world to be there. See, the great danger for most Christians when they think that Armageddon is referring to a geographical location in the Middle East and it's the scene of a great battle and the great battle or it's going to be the sign that will bring in the end of the world as we know it is that they are focusing on the things of the world, the things that are happening in the Middle East. They're thinking about 
about riots around the Alaska Mosque, the Dome of the Rock. They're thinking about Palestinian uprising and how this is going to affect the, uh, the, the Jewish sovereignty of, the, of, of Jerusalem. They're thinking in these terms, but the Bible doesn't talk in that terms at all. In fact, the Bible says that Armageddon is referring to a symbolic place. The Bible's not talking about looking at a geographical location in Palestine today. The Bible's talking about something else. It's a symbolic meaning, and this is what we are going to be looking at Revelation, as I said, is filled with symbols. It's filled with imagery. Therefore, we have to allow the Bible to do the talking for us. We can't apply what we think these, these symbols and signs mean. We've got to allow the Bible to do the talking. So that's what we're going to do right now. As I said, Armageddon must be referring to a time or is symbolically referring to a time when the world itself will be separated. It will be divided in two groups. Those people who want to serve Jesus Christ and those people who want to do otherwise. Because the battle of Armageddon is really about God's people and the wicked. That's what it's about. But when we think about it logically, God's people in the last days are going to be spread over the entire earth. And the wicked, the rebellious, they're going to be spread over the entire earth as well, even though God's people will be in the minority by far. So it cannot be referring to a, a simple geographical location. It must have a symbolic meaning, and it's referring to the separation between God's faithful people and the wicked throughout the world. Now, how do I know this? Well, we're going to allow the Bible to do the talking for us. Now, you know that the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. John, the aged Apostle John, in 95 AD, he's on the island of Patmos. He's been imprisoned by Emperor Domitian, and he's there on that penal island. He's imprisoned. But on the Sabbath day, we read, he says, and on the Lord's day, I was in vision. And we know that the Lord's day is referring to the Sabbath. So when it talks about John in Revelation, we're talking about an old man now. And on the Sabbath day, he has the vision and he records what we have identified as the book of Revelation. Now, in one part of Revelation, he sees, he sees something quite extraordinary. In fact, the whole book of Revelation is quite extraordinary, but it's understandable. It is understandable. But in Revelation chapter 13, John sees two beasts. He sees one beast coming up out of the sea, and he sees another beast coming out, out of the, uh, up out of the earth. Now, we need to understand Revelation 13 so we can have an understanding of what this Armageddon is. Why is it the world finds itself in this place of separation between God's people and, and the wicked at the end, prior to the time of Christ's second coming? What are the events which lead up to that, which bring these events into focus? So, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 13. We're reading from verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up from where? Where does it say? This beast rises up from the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head ten crowns, uh, on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. 
The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed after the beast. John, in vision, sees a beast come up out of the sea. It has seven heads with ten, crown, uh, with ten horns, and the Bible tells us it's the devil which gives it its great authority, which brings success to its action. The Bible says it has a blasphemous name uh, associated with it, and it also says that all the world wondered after this beast power. Now let's pause for a moment. Let's think. What is a beast, first of all? Because we're not going to take this literally. It's symbolic. So we have to allow the Bible to interpret itself. So we go to the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 17, we read this. Those great beasts which are for are for kings which arise out of the earth. Now, when we are studying prophetic symbols we allow the bible to interpret itself and we discover that things are not always the way they appear things are not always uh, what we'd expect them to be because it says that beasts in the bible represent kings or we get the word kingdom from two words a king's dominion so beasts in Bible prophecy represent kings. Now, we're not sure whether it's talking about a secular kingdom or whether it's talking about a religious kingdom at this point in time, but we've just allowed the Bible to do the talking for us. The Bible says that a, these beasts or a beast represents kings. Now, we do exactly the same today. For example, we'll say things like Australia is represented by what animal? The kangaroo. We say that America is represented by what? The bald eagle. That the lion represents what nation? The United Kingdom. We see that the rooster is represented by what kingdom? It represents what kingdom? A lot of people don't get it, but it's referring to France, the cocky rooster. We use it now, and we use it quite freely now on our flags and logos and that sort of thing. But God thought of it first. And in Bible prophecy, we see it there and we see it explained very closely. Now, John in vision, he sees this beast. Now, we know that it's a king or a kingdom of some description coming up where? Where is it coming up? It comes up out of the sea. So again, we're going to allow the Bible to interpret itself and we're going to remain in the pages of Revelation to interpret what the sea is on this occasion because in Revelation 17 verse 15 we read, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits. Now, don't worry about the harlot. That's uh, not important to us at this, this occasion and as I said, we're not doing a series on the book of Revelation. That's going to come but uh, we're not doing it at this present time. It says, the waters which you saw where the harlot that sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and what? What's the last word there? Tongues. So we realize here the sea in Bible prophecy or large bodies of water in Bible prophecy, prophecy represent populated parts of 
the world. That's what it represents. So we see this beast, this kingdom coming up out of a populated part of the world. Now, where do we get this information from so far? Well, we've been able to decipher all this from the Bible. Let's continue on now as we move on. So this beast comes up out of the sea. We don't know if it's religious at this point in time. We don't know whether it's a secular power, but let's read on now. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns and 10 crowns and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now, it has a blasphemous name. In the Gospel of John, we discover that there, are enough, there is one principal definition of blasphemy found in the Gospel of John. It's actually found in John chapter 10, verse 30 to 33. Here, uh, Jesus says this, I and my Father are one. Now, we know that it's not talking about uh, physically one. It's talking about in mind they're one because when Jesus prayed to the Father, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not they do. Uh, At the baptism, the voice of the Father was heard from, from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus. So in the Bible, we see very clearly the Bible talks about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as three individuals. But here Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them and said, many good works I've shown you from my Father. From which of those do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, For good work we do not stone you. Notice this in verse 33 now. But for blasphemy and because you being a man make yourself what? You being a man make yourself God. The beast of Revelation 13 has a blasphemous name. Therefore this beast must be a religious power and it claims all the privileges and all the prerogatives of God upon the earth. Now again where do we get this information from? We've got it from the Bible so in Revelation chapter 13 it's talking about a kingdom. We now know it's a religious kingdom and it claims to take the place of God and it rises out of a populated part of of the world. But let's read on some more now because in Revelation 13 verse 6 we read this, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name. So now it's clear we know that this power is no friend of God. He blasphemes the name of God. He blasphemes against God. His tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. It says it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to do what? And to overcome them and authority was given him over every tribe tongue and nation is this power is this religious power a friend of God or an enemy of God it's an enemy of God is it a friend of God's people or a foe to God's people It's a foe to God's people because it's a persecuting power. It persecutes God's God's people. It's a blasphemous power. It claims to take the place of God on earth. It comes up out of a populated part of the world and it is a religious power. Now, we've got all this material from the Bible. Now, we understand generally what this is referring to now. But let's find out how far spread its influence is going to be. And in Revelation 13 and verse 8, we read this. 
and all who dwell on the earth will what? Will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We've just read in this passage that the whole world is going to worship this beast power, the Bible says, except for those peoples whose names are not written, where? In the Lamb's book of life slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, it's showing us that there is a a point of demarcation. There are people who are going to follow this beast power and they're going to worship this beast power. They're going to acknowledge that this power is in the place of God on earth, this blasphemous power. But there are going to be other people who are not going to cooperate with this state system, with this counterfeit system. And so here in Revelation chapter 13, we have the worldwide breakup of those who follow the counterfeit system and those who follow Jesus Christ. You have the splitting up, if you like, the division of those who will and those who won't. The entire world is caught up in this global deception and the power of inducement is so persuasive that we are told that all who dwell on the earth will worship this religious power that has its beginnings or its origins in the populated parts of the world. Now, some people may say, well, I've got an idea who this is referring to. This is referring to Islam. No, it's not. This is not referring to Islam at all. I can assure you, it's not Islam at all. Let's read on. Because the Bible talks about a second beast power. Now, the first beast... This religious entity came up out of a populated part of the world. This second beast comes up out of the earth. So this comes up out of a sparsely populated part of the world. And in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11, we read this. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Now, what we're going to read here will underscore the point that I'm making right now. That is that this second beast that comes up onto the scene of action becomes an ally with this first beast. The first beast, this religious power, uh, institutes certain laws and dogmas and decrees that causes the whole world to follow it, except for those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But then it also has the support of the state, so to speak. It says this, And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a what? He had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. The Bible tells us that this second beast comes up out of the earth, not the sea. It's a sparsely populated part of the earth. It has the appearance of a lamb. Now, who's the lamb in the Bible? Okay, it's referring to, we know, that refers to Jesus Christ. So this power has the appearance of a lamb. In other words, it's Christian in appearance, but the Bible says that it speaks like a dragon. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, we see that the dragon uh, is referring to the serpent. It's referring to Lucifer. Well, that's not included there, but it's referring to the devil. So this next power has the support and gets its success from 
the devil himself. Even though it appears as Christian, the Bible makes it very clear that it not only has its success attributed to satanic forces, but its actions reflect the satanic power behind it. Let's read on in Revelation 13, now in verse 13. It says, But he doeth great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from where? Fire come down from heaven in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and did live. What direction is this second beast power pointing the, women, uh, the men and women of the world to? to worship the first beast power. The Bible says that this lamb-like beast, which has horns like a dragon, speaks like a dragon, the appearance of a lamb, its Christian appearance. The Bible says it does great signs and wonders and makes fire come down from heaven and deceives those people upon the earth by which the signs it was and miracles that it was able to do. So what is the significance of fire coming down from heaven in relation to our study on the book of, uh, on our study on Armageddon. What is it? It's everything. It means everything. It's highly relevant. Now, remember what we've already learned. We're going back now. Remember, we've re- learned that Armageddon means mountain of Megiddo and the mountain of Megiddo is Mount Carmel. Now, if you were to read 1 Kings chapter 18 and we go back to about 860 BC, we would see that there is a showdown between God's prophet Elijah and also the priests of Baal that have been instituted by Queen Jezebel and King Ahab of Israel. And what we see as we study this uh, passage is that Elijah confronts King Ahab and he says that he is the one who's brought the suffering of Israel to bear the way it has at that point in time. There was a huge drought that went for three years and it decimated the land and it decimated the economy of Israel. And God, through Elijah, blames Ahab for his desire to support his wife in a system of false worship, which was known as Baal worship. But there on Mount Carmel, the Bible tells us that there was a showdown on Mount Carmel when Elijah challenged the gods, the, the pagan gods who served Baal and fire came down from God out of heaven, which verified and authenticated the claim that Elijah had made that God, the God, the creator God, the eternal self-existing God was the one to be worshipped and to forget the images and the idols that have been set up by these pagans influenced by Queen Jezebel, set them at naught because they can't think, they can't speak, they can't can't walk they can't answer prayers only God answers prayers as was demonstrated with that fire coming down from heaven the reality was that Israel got to this situation where it found itself 
completely absorbed and completely enamored by this false pagan type of worship because over the century it had turned its back on God. It was slow and it was imperceptible that they turned their back on God. They turned their backs on the voices of the prophets. They turned their backs on the writings of the prophets and the writings of Moses in the beginning. And what happened was they came to a situation where the the land had and the people become susceptible to superstition and also to worship false gods. The Bible warns us that these things are going to happen again in the future, that there'll be a time because of the lax nature of people in regarding their commitment to God and the study and the commitment to the the Bible, that they are going to become superstitious and vulnerable to all sorts of lies and to all sorts of deceptions, so much so that the whole world is going to be caught up in this system of false worship. And the reality is that things are not what they appear to be. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, I'll say it again. It says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the land slain from the foundation of the world. And though fire comes down from heaven, it doesn't come from God. Rather, it will verify the claims of the apostate system that it has the authority, that it speaks in the place of God and the world will be deceived and the world will worship and honour this system. Now, in our earlier presentations, we saw the accuracy of Old Testament prophecies. We saw the accuracy of some New Testament prophecies as well, that the Bible is certainly God-inspired word. And we saw them incredibly detailed explanation that history verifies what prophecy said hundreds and thousands of years in advance. But remember this, the prophecies regarding the Messiah, the prophecies regarding Tyre and Sidon and Babylon and all those prophecies that we looked at, once upon a time they were still in future. But now we look back and we see that they've been accurately fulfilled. The same is will apply to these prophecies that we are looking at here. They are future, but the time will come when they will be history. They will be a past event. And John is warning us of a time of rebellion when the deceptions will be so persuasive that unless the Bible, unless the principle of the Bible and the Bible only is maintained, then people will be deceived and you will be deceived likewise. I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says. Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, this is in the second letter to the Thessalonians, he says this, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, when Paul talks about the day, he's referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Paul warns that before Jesus Christ returns, there is going to be a falling away. In other words, there's going to be an apostasy within Christendom and Christians will fall away from the truth and they'll turn their back on God and they'll follow a system which is not God-made but is man-made. How do we know? Well, Paul tells us. Notice this. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped 
so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Well, isn't that what we discovered in Revelation chapter 13? It's exactly the same thing. Paul here describes a man who comes onto the scene of action, who will be worshipped, and he's been around for a long time, who will be worshipped and who will be honoured and he will take the place of God on earth. And then he says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. So who brings success to this person who takes the place of God on earth? The Bible says it's Satan and he says it's associated with power, with signs and lying wonders. In other words, with miracles, things that defy human logic, things that science can't explain. These will be the things that will be happening in the last day to set the world up for the last great final deception and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. The love of the truth is referring to their response to the Holy Spirit who leads people, every person to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that the Bible is God's Word, etc. Those people who do not advance in that and edit God out of their lives, say, we don't want anything to do with it, or I'm not interested in it, or I'm going to serve God my way. This is what it's talking about here by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said that the delusions in the last day will be so strong, so overwhelming. Why? Because they are of supernatural origin. They are inspired by the devil and they are empowered by the devil. They are of satanic origin. And there will be those who are deceived who did not have a love for the truth. And that's referring to the Bible. As I said, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. It's referring to spiritual things. That's what it's referring to. In fact, these people who've turned their back on God, their hearts have become hardened and they have committed themselves fully and unreservedly to the pleasures and the things of this world here. Paul describes an age of rebellion in which God will be counted as naught, where the word of God will be laid aside, so much so that in the world that in the world that there will be a power that will come onto the scene of action in a way never experienced before in the past and will demonstrate by signs and miracles that he is God and the world will worship him and his apostate system. You know, in order for this counterfeit system which is due to the power of Satan operating fully and unrestrained, it happens in the last days when individual after individual, when family after family, when community after community will jettison the Bible, replacing it for the traditions and the pleasures and the materialism of this world. That's how it all happens. In order for this world to become the fertile field of demonic activity, the Bible will be eventually discarded, not only by individuals, but by churches and by entire denominations. We see the way our culture is collapsing today. Once a strong Christian culture was Australia, the Constitution was built on believers in God and the Bible, and the, the Bible plays a mi- mighty part in the Constitution with its 
values and its principles. But today, because the Bible has been set aside, we see all sorts of immorality, all sorts of nonsense, all sorts of silliness coming into the discussion of political correctness. And we have things here in Victoria called safe schools when our children in both primary school and high school are being exposed to things that they should never been uh, exposed to at all. They've been instructed by teachers who have no right to instruct or guide their, their students in the way that they are now. And it's leading to the disintegration of Australian society and eventually the ruin of this country of Australia unless people turn things around. But that's for another day. The Bible is clear, friends, that throughout Scripture we are warned that there is a global de- uh, deception, that our world is changing so rapidly, not in the technical, not only in the economy, not in the military, not only in the scientific fields, but the most alarming change that we see happening within Australia, particularly within Australia, which, which we here are most familiar with, is what's happening to the family unit. And when I say a family there, I'm talking about a man and a woman coming together in holy matrimony, capable and naturally able to bring forth children into this world. It is the removal of family values. It is the removal of ethics, morals and justice, which we are witnessing now, which brings about the dehumanization of society and the dehumanization of, of, of the world itself, which makes it vulnerable to the superstitions and the things which are coming into this world. Our world is changing. Our world is changing at an incredible rate. And the Bible has been set aside as naught. God is mocked. God is ridiculed today by parents who should know better. They want their children to have good lives, but they bring them into a world that is corrupted and becoming more corrupted daily. The Bible says this, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is what? There is no light in them. The traditions and the doctrines of men are not worth a scrap, friends, if it doesn't line up with the Bible. If what you are taught is not found in the Bible, if what you are preached to, what you are presented with from the pulpit week in and week out is not rooted and grounded in the Word of God, the Bible, then it has no real place being presented there in the church at all. You know, despite knowing better, despite being prompted by the Holy Spirit, despite the opportunities that we here, particularly in Australia, have, men and women are sowing their own seeds. They're going their own way and it will come at a great expense. But in all these things, we make ourselves vulnerable to demonic impersonations. We make ourselves vulnerable to occultic practices. We make ourselves vulnerable to the immoral and the, and the, um, uh, the avaricious and the uh, licentious that, that are growing in voice and in stature throughout our land. And the world, and Australia particularly, is setting itself up to honour a counterfeit system which cannot be supported by the Bible at all. So knowing this, Knowing all these things, we have discovered that in the last days, the world is going to be divided into two groups. Those who honor God and want to be faithful to what the Bible says, and those who have chosen to edit God out of their lives and go their own 
wise. We know that Armageddon is not referring to a geographical location in the Middle East. It cannot refer to that. It's not the site of a massive battle when the forces of good, the forces of wickedness clash. It's a point in time which describes the separation between God's people and those who have chosen to follow the devil, follow the the false system of worship. And it's that sense that the world is divided. Remember, God's people are scattered over the whole world. They're not in one little location in the Middle East. They're scattered over the whole world, as is the wicked, where the majority will follow this um, false counterfeit system. And the final outcome, well, Armageddon is really the final outcome of an age-long struggle to win the hearts and the minds of men and women. On one side, you have Jesus Christ. And on the other side, you have the devil. The whole issue in the end will be all about true and false worship. Will you worship Jesus Christ and be obedient to him or will you be lured away by Satan and demonic spirits and follow a system that has been derived and originated in the mind of Satan himself? In Revelation chapter 16 verse 14 we read this, for they are spirits of devils working what? working miracles which go before go forth under the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God almighty and he gathered them together into a place called in Hebrew or in the Hebrew tongue what what's the word there Armageddon Armageddon The great day of of God is referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then that day, God rewards the righteous and he punishes the wicked, the Bible says. And at that time, there is a clear separation between those who are faithful to God and those who choose to do otherwise. The Bible's very clearly on this. Remember, as I said, Armageddon cannot refer to a geographical location in the Middle East. I've harped on this and I've harped on this and I want to make the point very clear because God's people are scattered throughout the world. Also, you can forget about denominational loyalties in the very last days because God's people will come from every denomination. God's people will come from every ethnicity and God's people will come from every religion. Those people who are responding to the Holy Spirit and choose to be faithful to Jesus Christ, whatever the cost may be. These people come from all denominations, as I said, and religions, and they are scattered throughout the whole sum total of the earth. One final point. Armageddon cannot be referring to a geographical location in Palestine. It cannot refer to that because the book of Revelation speaks in terms of global events, worldwide events. The Bible talks in terms of a worldwide deception. The Bible talks in terms where the whole world will worship the beast system. The Bible says that the seven last plagues come and they they damage and destroy and mutilate the entire world. The Bible says that the gospel of Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 verse 14 and in Revelation chapter 14 verse 6 to 12 goes to the whole world, to every nation, kindred, tongue and people. The reality is the Bible is talking in global terms, not in local terms in Palestine. So, the Apostle John, 
in the book of Revelation, he uses the Hebrew word Armageddon to remind us of a time in history when a nation called Israel turned its back on God, which once served God, once honoured God, but turned its back on God and made themselves easy targets for, for a false system of devil-inspired worship and superstition. And the result was nationwide misery and distress for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Bible in Revelation chapter 16, that the same thing is going to be repeated, not on a local scale, but on a global scale. It warns us because of the world's rejection of God, because it's hardened its heart against the promptings of the Holy Spirit, because Christians have turned their backs on the Bible. This same mishaps are going to be repeated on a global, on a global scale, and it will end in global misery for the whole world as the world falls under the cruel hand of Satan the murderer, Satan the liar, and Satan the deceiver. The world is setting itself up for a fall. But the good news, you know what? There is actually good news. The world is going to be in trouble. It's going to be in big trouble. The Bible warns us that. But there is good news for those people who choose to be faithful to Jesus Christ and have a proper appreciation of what Jesus has done for them. There's good news because the Bible says that the, that the coming of Jesus Christ, that many will be gathered up to meet the Lord in the air. There's an old saying and it goes like this, visit many good books but live in the Bible. Friends, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, make the Bible your point of call every day. Begin your day with prayer. Spend time in the Word of God, learning, learning, learning as you grow in grace. It will help you as you prepare for the time in which we are coming. But God's people are those who are going to be faithful in the end. These people are the ones who receive the, the acclamation of heaven. These are the ones who hear these words recorded in Matthew chapter. 25 verse 23 says well done good and faithful servant enter thou into the joy of the world the lord isn't that what everyone wants to hear well done well done good work well done you applied yourself to spiritual things enter thou into the joy of the lord yes there's good news coming friends there's good news coming raise your hands if this has made sense to you tonight that before you raise your hands, that you understand that Armageddon is not referring to a place in the Middle East, that you understand that it's referring to a worldwide separation of God's people and those who choose to follow the enemy. Raise your hands. If you... All right. God bless you. God bless you. Now, you're going to have some of your other questions. There'll be questions. I know there'll be questions from this, but you're going to have your questions answered with the handouts that you're going to receive uh, as you go out by our ushers. Please make sure you receive those. Uh, the other thing that I want to share with you, next week, we're looking at a very controversial subject, but again, we're sticking to the Bible because we're going to find out what the Bible talks about or how it describes the afterlife and the spirit world. You'll enjoy it. It will be a great blessing. It too will be good news for you because information and knowledge can only bless you, particularly in the area of spiritual things. Amen.
Amen. Now, for those of you who are watching at home or on the internet uh, or on YouTube, whatever, you can have the materials that are being handed out here at this program here in Melbourne. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. We will send them out to you free of charge to the address which is now. It should be on the screen now. If you just send it to theorchardmelbourne.org.au, go to the contact area or the tab mark contact and we will send them out to you no matter where you live in the world, absolutely free free of charge. Well, thank you for being with me again tonight. We've had a good night. We've covered a lot of ground as we always do, but I hope that it's been uh, beneficial to you. And I'm sure that it has. I can see by the smiles and the nodding here that uh, you're understanding how important these series of lectures and presentations are because they are important and they're invaluable, not only for you, but for every person that you care for and love in this world. Why don't we finish in prayer now just before we go. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for this time that we've been able to have as we've opened your word tonight. We see that Armageddon is talking about a period of time in the future where those who've chosen to you, chosen to serve you will be victimized. They'll be alienated. But all is well because we know that your protective hand will surround those who choose to be your servants. I pray that you'll also be with each one of us now as we go our separate ways. Bring us back safely next week. And again, we thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. This message was made available by the Orchard Melbourne Central City Church. For more resources like this, visit theorchardmelbourne.org.au. You've been listening to Go Teach All Nations here on 3ABN Australia Radio. I'm Casey Butler and I want to tell you a story today from a long time ago, way back in the 1870s. This story happened in an area called Scranton in Pennsylvania in the United States. Now it turns out there are a lot of mines in this area and this story is about an incident from one of the mines. You know, mines can be dangerous places. There are all those big tunnels and the roofs can fall in. Miners go in digging down and sometimes things happen and people can get trapped down there and even killed. And mines can be in some ways just as dangerous today as, as back then. Now in the story, there was an accident and some men got stuck. But there was something else that happened in this story from which we can learn a powerful lesson. Well, the men were stuck and rescuers around them were frantically trying to do all they could to get the men out. They tried everything possible, every strategy to get out the miners. Now, most of the miners were Germans and all of their families were around and they'd been working hard for a long time now. People were distressed. They were distraught and frantic. 
It was now three days after the accident, and the rescuers were almost ready to give up. Some of them thought, look, it's been three days. What chance is there? These miners are probably not even alive. But they still continued. And the person who witnessed the situation, he noticed a small German girl who was 11 years old, who was just standing watching all that was happening around her. She was pale-faced and frightened. And you could tell that she knew the serious of the situation and everything that was happening. And he watched her closely. And then he noticed her lips beginning to quiver. And suddenly the girl began to sing in, well, at first it was a very faint whisper, but then grew louder and louder as she gained courage. What was she singing? Well... She was singing a well-known hymn that the Germans around her, the German miners, would have known from childhood. It was, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. As her voice was louder as she gained courage, the people heard it and they were amazed, awestruck. Here was this girl singing in such a terrible situation. Well... One by one, the people caught the idea, and they joined her in singing the song. So there were miners and, and their, their wives and any other children around. They all started singing and joining in this little girl as she sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, until the whole group of people gathered around the mouth of the mine had joined in the song, and they sang with their whole hearts. What were the words that they were singing? Well, here's part of it. It says, With force of arms we nothing can. Full soon we are ridden. But for us fights the godly man, whom God himself hath bidden. Ask ye his name? Christ Jesus is his name. Well, after they had finished singing, there was a great quiet and hush that filled the people's hearts all around. The whole atmosphere had changed. Where before there was discouragement and despondency and hopelessness, the people resumed their work with fresh vigour. And guess what? In the morning, the joyful cry came out that the men were found alive. Never was a word more in season than that child's hymn. It just transformed the attitude and courage of everyone around. And the ultimate result were the men were rescued. Now, what is a lesson we can learn from this? Well, it's probably obvious. But how many of you have been in situations where you're anxious fearful or scared helpless and afraid or you may have been with people who are feeling this way well something we can do in these situations to help us cope and help us 
refocus in our attitude is to sing. It can give our own hearts courage and hope as we look to a power beyond our own. And if we sing out loud, others can hear it too and this will warm their hearts and give them courage as well to face whatever difficulty they're in. So remember this, next time you are faced with a challenging situation, remember that you can sing and this will bring courage. You know, learn learn songs that have deep and meaningful words that, that will be pertinent for a difficult situation so that when you come to them, you can just start singing. And may you and others be blessed as you do this. Bye for now. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.